Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. We are so happy that you have decided to join us. Hopefully, you will find the next few minutes challenging and refreshing as we consider together how God is asking us to respond to His grace. If you are listening because you are unable to join us at our physical location, thank you for keeping in step with us, and we will look forward to seeing you in person next Sunday. If you are joining us from outside of Anchorage, then please drop us a line and let us know where you are listening in from. We would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen. Jesus were here. One of the things he would do is go bungee jumping. You may not have ever thought of this before. This might just be a special privilege of pastors, I'm not sure. But I think about sometimes what Jesus would do if he were living in our day and didn't have like the mission of dying on the cross. I think one of the things he would enjoy is bungee jumping. And here's why. Because it seems to be a mirror to the way that he has set things up in terms of this faith thing. So, if you go to bungee jump, how many of you have ever been bungee jumping, by the way? Do we have any bungee jumpers in here? Three people? I can't blame you too much because I haven't been myself, but I, I commit to going at some point in my life. So... Let's say you're going to go bungee jumping, and you walk up there, you're on the platform, <clears throat> what things are going through your mind? You're, you're certainly thinking about the fact that you haven't done this before, and you might die. There's a chance you might die. And this isn't like maybe the smartest thing to be doing. If you were with your life insurance agent right now, they would be taking notes, and you would probably see a, uh, an increase in premiums. But you're sitting there, and what are you doing to tell yourself that you are going to bungee jump? I'm going to guess that you're probably similar to me, and you'd probably be going through the, like a similar mental process. The first thing you would do is you would look at the size and strength of that bungee cord. And you would focus on its ability to save your life, right? You would... You would look at it and you would think about all of the engineers who have calculated how strong that bungee cord is. And then you might also think about uh, people who have gone before you and lived. You might even know somebody personally who can testify to the fact that this is a real thing. You, you don't just die at the bottom and become a pancake. You come back up. And it's an amazing experience. And, and then maybe you think about your alternative. Your, your alternative is to sit on the couch and do nothing, right? To not have this experience. That is your alternative, is to just hear about it from others and just never have it yourself. And then you, you look deep inside of yourself. I'm kind of pumping myself up because I assume my kids will challenge me to bungee jump at some point. So I've been working ahead in this process. And so 
you think about the fact that the, the best, one of the best experiences you can have as a human being is to trust. Did you know that? It is to trust. Now, uh, we've talked about some of the evidences why we might trust, and that leads you to a place where you might be willing to trust fully. And when you do that, that is an extraordinary feeling. It's incredibly scary the moment you tip off and as you're falling because you still don't know. You don't know. Maybe they messed up hooking me up. <laughs> we, don't, we really don't know for sure if this thing is going to work out. But then what floods into you the moment that you do feel the tug on your feet and you do feel yourself going back up. Pretty amazing thing, right? You have this flood of, oh, I'm alive. And you will look back on that experience for the rest of your life. I did the uh, bungee chair that was down at the Diamond Center for quite a long time. Did anybody else do that? That's like sort of bungee jumping. It's like bungee rocketing or something. I'm not sure. But uh, if you ever get a chance to do it, I highly recommend it. Well, that seems to be the way that God has set things up. It seems to be that he has called us into an extraordinary experience but one that requires faith and trust. And so it is important for us to consider things before we take that leap. Right? It is important for us to consider, oh, well, let's, let's think about the engineers and the bungee cord and the safety things that are set up. Let's think about whether or not this is a rational risk to take, Because not only does God call us to be people of faith, to trust in him, he also calls us to weigh the evidence, to count the cost, to be discerning, to think through the decisions that we are making, the life that we are choosing to lead, right? Jesus oftentimes would have a massive crowd gathered around him because he was performing miracles. He was throwing it in the face of the Pharisees. Uh, he was doing all of these things that would have attracted a, a big crowd in his day. And we see several times in scripture where he says to that large crowd something like, you know what following me looks like? It means dying to yourself to the point where you're willing to take up a cross. And guess what happened to the crowd? It diminished significantly because that was not a popular message. That was not what people wanted to hear. They didn't want to hear that they were going to have to give up control of their lives, surrender themselves to God, and trust him in difficult situations. There is a story about Judas that you might not be aware of. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody's telling you a story about somebody named Matt, for example? And they'll start telling you the story, and maybe you'll be a little bit confused, and then they'll say, no, not, not that Matt, this Matt. 
Like, oh, okay. Now the story makes sense. Did you know that there were two Judases? Hmm. John chapter 14 and verse 22. It says Judas, not Judas Iscariot. So, you know, this is the author saying, you know, not that Judas. He said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? So, this is near the time where uh, Jesus is going to be arrested and ultimately crucified. And Jesus is preparing his disciples in a number of ways through different teachings, different experiences. And the disciples are quite convinced at this point that Jesus is a massively significant person in the redemptive story of God. And from their perspective, there's a very easy solution to all of this. Because the goal is that people would understand who Jesus is. And from the disciples' perspective, there's a very easy solution. They know that Jesus can do it. They know it's well within his power to do it. And that thing is to reveal himself to the whole world as he has revealed himself to those disciples. So Judas, not that Judas, but Judas, asks this question. Have we ever asked this question? God, why don't you just... Reveal yourself in this incredibly powerful way to this person who, have you ever had that go through your mind? God, why don't you just act in this particular way that I am confident would fully convince, fill in the blank, right? We've probably all had those. Well, this is Jesus' response to Judas and to us. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Does that just not feel like an answer? Does it feel like that's not a very satisfying answer? Right? Does it feel like maybe Jesus is skirting the issue? Like he didn't hear the question? Well, this is what I think is going on. I think Judas is saying, you know what, Jesus? Uh, People aren't very good at trusting based on like, you know, 50% evidence or even 70% evidence. What what people really like and what people really need is they need 100% evidence. They need all of the I's dotted, all the T's crossed. They need the whole picture completely filled in. And Jesus, you have the ability to do that. So why don't you do that? And Jesus' response seems to be um, no. I don't know if you caught that in what Jesus said, but... The response seems to be no. And the second part of that is that uh, God has this plan and he's going to work his plan. 
and God's plan is perfect. Do you see how I'm kind of paraphrasing a lot here? But, you know, you can decide if you agree with this or not. But God's going to work his plan. God has this system set up that will cause people to, or force people to come to a place where they have to make a decision to trust or not to trust. And that is the way things are set up, and we are going to trust the Father with that scenario. The goal is fellowship. The Father desires fellowship with us. And so we are going to trust the good, the perfect heart of the Father to reveal himself in the perfect ways at the perfect time. Our role as disciples, and Jesus is leading in his example, by his example of this, but is to trust the Father. So Judas is essentially asking, do you think we could make that bungee cord a little shorter? Do you think we could just sort of have me just hinge off but be totally locked to this platform? And Jesus is saying, oh no, you're going to miss out on so much. You're going to miss out on the best experience if you don't learn to step into trust. So, I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with somebody who is not a believer and who is maybe even a critic. I have had lots of those conversations. And one of the things I notice is that these folks will bring up an objection and I will, as nicely as possible, answer that objection with a very reasonable answer. And what I see is that generally those folks will just move on to another objection. And so I'll do what I can to graciously answer that objection as well as I can and in a rational way. And what I find is that those people just move on to another objection. Anybody ever experienced this? It seems like it's very difficult to get to a point where we've answered all of the objections. Um, well, I think there's a reason for that. I think that at some point you decide that you are going to take a certain set of evidence and you're going to then take a step of faith based on that evidence. Or you decide that you're just not ever going to take a step of faith regardless of how much evidence is there. So, I'm bringing all that up because um, we're going to talk about, we have been talking about this idea that Christians have that Jesus is a very real person and was very fully human but is at the same time very fully God. And there are lots of people who disagree with that or have a different view of that so that they can sort of, you know, better grapple with that. So I'll give you a couple of examples. There's a group that believes that Jesus was not ever God, that God, the Almighty, created Jesus and 
Jesus lived in an angelic form, and then Jesus was sent to earth to die on our behalf, and we are saved because of Jesus, and Jesus, as we know him in, in the Bible, is both Jesus and the archangel Michael. And so you have this belief that Jesus was, was not God, was never co-equal with God, wasn't, certainly was not God. There are about 8 million people that believe this idea about Jesus. We know them as the Jehovah's Witness. There's another group of people that they believe that Jesus and Satan were uh, spiritual sons of God. And they made presentations to God about how to um, sort of best go about things. And God chose Jesus' plan over Satan's plan. Satan was angry and rebelled against heaven and therefore was never given a physical body. But Jesus was given a physical body did come to earth and did die on the cross for our sins. And by believing in him and living a good life, uh, we can uh, become like Jesus. We can become one of his brothers, not figuratively speaking, but we can become actually one of Jesus' brothers, uh, eventually becoming gods ourselves and ruling over other planets or planetary systems. There are about 16 million people who believe this idea about Jesus. And we refer to those folks as members of the Church of the Latter-day Saints. Then there's about 2.4 billion people who believe that Jesus was fully man and fully God. And we would call these folks orthodox Christians. In other words, they believe the same thing that the church has believed from the very beginning about Jesus. This is an orthodox church. We're not Russian orthodox. We're not Eastern orthodox, but we are an orthodox church. So that includes Eastern Christianity. It includes Catholicism. It includes Protestantism. We all hold that view of Jesus that he is both fully man and fully God. Well, why is that important? You might be thinking to yourself, self, why is that important? <laughs> so, in Ephesians chapter 2, um, verse 7, sorry, nope, that's the wrong one. In Romans chapter 8 and Verse 31, Paul says this, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? So, do you think it makes a difference between believing that God created a being to die on our behalf versus 
God himself died on our behalf. I think it makes a significant difference. Because it, it tells me that God himself, the Almighty, the creator of the universe, is directly involved, is personally himself involved in our salvation. And to me, that is such a higher value salvation. And it also is so much more convincing about the perfection of God's grace and mercy on our behalf. And it also answers the question of why does God allow evil so much better? I've just thrown a few things out. And I want to invite you on Wednesday at 7 o'clock online, uh, you can uh, join us for a follow-up to this. We're going to dive into some of these things a little bit deeper. Uh, so that's my first commercial for that. But it is significant because it means that God himself died on our behalf. It's also significant because it means that we are part of his story and not the other way around. We are not going to one day become gods, but we are going to eternally witness to the greatness of God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7 says, So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. That is our eternal purpose, to bring glory and honor to God, to testify to his grace and his mercy in our lives. It's interesting that John 3.16, which we learn in Sunday school if we grew up in the church, uh, which we see pasted in a bunch of different places, um, it's interesting that John 3.16 goes against uh, both of the previous ideas that I mentioned that some other folks have about Christianity. You probably know the verse well. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Notice that there are two statements made in that verse. One is that God has only one son. He does not have many sons. He has one son. Um, notice that there's nothing about uh, Jesus being created in this scenario. And so it goes against both of those ideas. Now, how many of you feel like you have like a really good grasp of the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity? If you don't know what the doctrine of the Trinity is, it's where church leaders have looked at what is in the scriptures and they have discerned what is going on. So these are some things that they have discerned. One is, in every sense that we can sense things, Jesus was fully man. He did everything that human beings did. He was born as a man. He, he, he appeared to be fully man. At the same time, Jesus did everything that people would expect 
God to do. And Jesus claimed to be God himself. And so it appears that he, at the same time, is fully God. The tricky part is when we try to explain that. And this is where the enemy and critics get to have their day. What do you mean? You can't be both fully God, fully man, not possible, not rational. That's silly. That's ridiculous. When have we ever seen, you know, this is not common in our experience. This, this is not a thing. So, Christians, by the way, have never claimed to understand the Trinity. There has never been a church father who says, yep, I got it. Uh, let me just draw you a quick diagram. There have been some who have drawn diagrams in order to sort of conceptualize what is going on, but nobody has ever claimed, yeah, I got this nailed. Uh, I did my doctoral dissertation on that, and uh, if you just read that, totally solved. That is not the case. That's not what Christians are doing. We are saying this thing certainly seems to appear to be true, that Jesus was fully man. And this thing also appears to be fully true. We don't get it, but it must be true. How do you feel about that? If you're like me, you don't feel good about it at all. I don't like those ambiguities. I don't like tension. I don't like being forced to bungee jump. But that is what God is calling us to do, to be people of faith, to look at the evidence that is presented to us and to say, I think that's the best way to see things, and so I'm going to respond accordingly. How do you feel about that? Hmm, I was, you were hoping for some better answers today? I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. So, are there, are there evidences for what God calls us to do? Are there evidences for these things that we believe? So, as we head into this discussion of uh, the resurrection uh, next week, as we head into Easter, we're thinking about this. On Easter Sunday, we're going to hopefully stand in here and, and we're going to sing these songs that are in worship and adoration of Jesus because we believe that he rose from the dead and we believe that has a significant impact on our lives and on our eternity. We believe that that is really the whole story of creation and humanity. We think it is a massively huge deal. Well, where do we get that from? Let's start with this. 22% of people in the nation of England don't believe that Jesus is a real person. They don't believe that Jesus ever existed. I just read that recently and it just caught me. 22%. I don't know how accurate the survey is or any of those things. But it just kind of caught me. The reason it caught me is because the, the strong majority of historians, 
uh, biblical scholars, both secular and Christian and other faiths conclusively agree that Jesus was a very real historical figure. I'm going to give you uh, an example. Um, We're going to go to another document that is about 2,000 years old. Um, How many of you get excited when you hear about a document that's almost 2,000 years old? It's like, yes, this is what I came for. It's amazing. So uh, there's a guy named Tacitus who was a Roman historian in the late first century, early second century. So within, uh, within easily within um, 50 years of Jesus' life. Uh, he was born in 55 AD, and he's the, he's the, um, the historian by 80 AD or so. So he's recording the history of Rome, okay? And in the, there's this section about uh, where he's, he's going through the life and, and the rule of Nero, who ruled in the 70s AD, right in that period, 70s, 80s. This is, what he, this is one of the ways he describes um, the part of Nero's history where Nero uh, was blamed for the conflagration of the, the burning of Rome, okay? So it says, but, all, but not all the relief that could come from man, not all the bounties that the prince could bestow, nor all the atonements which could be presented to the gods availed to relieve Nero from the infamy of being believed to have ordered the conflagration of Rome. So what Tacitus is describing is the fact that Rome got burnt and the populace are blaming Nero for having ordered it. They think he did it for political reasons. And so Nero is going around, he's offering sacrifices, he's, he's doing all of these things trying to convince people that he didn't do it. But none of that seems to be working. So, it says, Hence, to suppress the rumor, he falsely charged with guilt and punished with the most exquisite tortures the persons commonly called Christians who were hated for their enormities. Christus, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea and the reign of Tiberius. But the pernicious superstition, isn't that good to know you're part of a pernicious superstition? Repressed for a time, broke out again, not only through Judea, where the mischief originated, but through the city of Rome also. So, if you were a historian, and you came across the official historical um, annals of Rome in the first century, and you read this, would you believe that Jesus was an actual, real historical figure? I hope so, because it's very obvious. This is an undisputed historical document. There are... 20 or so documents that are very similar, written in the first and second century by completely antagonistic authors to Christianity who validate 
the fact that Jesus was very much a historical person. It's also interesting here that he refers to the enormities of the Christian community within Rome by 80 AD or so. So that tells us something about the growth of Christianity. It tells us something about um, the reality of the resurrection. So that's just a teaser. Um, Again, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, if you are more interested in this stuff, you want to dive more into these things. But the reason I'm bringing this up here now for all of us is because, I don't know if you know this or not, but we live in a world where the Christian worldview gets attacked on a regular basis. In fact, I think one of the things that proves the story of Christianity is that we are constantly being attacked. Christians are very happy to leave other people alone in their viewpoint. In fact, we are the main group that supports leaving people alone for their viewpoint. Um, I could go further into that, but the Christian worldview is constantly being attacked. And so even if you have had a personal experience with God where you are absolutely convinced that God is real, you have seen him work in your life, you've seen him answer prayer, you have seen him uh, orchestrate circumstances to reveal himself to you, even if you have had a very personal experience with God in some way, the enemy is constantly attacking is constantly bringing doubt. And so it is important for us to just go back and work things through point by point. You said this, okay, where's the truth? Right? We're called to pursue truth, to love truth, to to seek truth, and to do it with vigilance, right? To be alert to know that the enemy is attacking us. He is after us. And so we have to constantly reaffirm our faith and go back and say, hey, this is, this is not true. This is not right. These are lies. And we have to put some work in and, and find the truth. So uh, why is all of that important? Because at the end of the day, it is true that God himself died on our behalf and has provided a significant amount of evidence if one is willing to look for it, right? The promise of scripture is that if we will seek, then we will find. If we will knock, then the door will be open to us. God is not trying to hide himself. Don't get mistaken about that. God is not trying to make it overly difficult for us. God is inviting us to step off into this amazing experience of trust. But he is not pushing us. He is saying, look, here's this piece of evidence. Look. Here's this piece of evidence. 
Won't you take the leap? Look, here's this piece of evidence. Look, you've been living your life in this way. Has it been working for you? Has it been working well for you? Do you like what you're becoming? Would you consider trusting me with how to live life at its best? Would you consider trusting your creator with how to operate? And so he is inviting us to jump. Why? Is he, come, is he some kind of sick maniac who wants to see us suffer and fearfully have to jump off? No, it is because he is a loving father who wants us to experience the incredible joy of jumping into his arms and being caught with amazing strength and dexterity and poise. He wants to show himself to you and I. But in order for us to see who he truly is, how amazing and incredible he really is, we have to jump. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask that you would work in each of our lives. We think about the different disciples and the questions that they asked and how you responded uh, to them with grace. And we ask that you would respond to us with grace as we bring our situations and our lives before you. We pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us. We ask that you would give us the strength to step into obedience in order to know you fully. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you guys would please stand. Um, before I... Uh, give the benediction. I'm going to uh, remind everybody that we, for Easter, we're doing an Easter egg hunt for the kids. And together, we are going to stuff 5,000 Easter eggs. And what that means for you is that on your way out, there's a bag of eggs that you will grab with a great attitude. <laughs> and you will take that home and stuff those eggs and bring them back next Sunday. Please. Um, from Revelation 1. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right, thank you guys. We'll see you uh, next week, if not before. Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world, and hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks, and this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the events tab at our website, awakenalaska.com, and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends, and we will see you next week.